and welcome to the Gunners Down Under podcast. You're here with me, Matty B, and as per usual, I'm joined by the BFG, Dale. Mate, how are you going today? Oh, I'm not too bad, Matty B, not too bad at all, mate. It's been a little while since we uh, since we spoke here on a podcast, mate. I believe we were in the throes of uh, the transfer window and uh, and all the uh, all the lovely uh, uh, bits of information that we had coming out of that, mate. It's been a little while between drinks, but we are back, mate, and it's good to be back. It is good to be back, and uh, we've we've returned with a bumper with a bumper episode. It's um, yes. it's a big return, mate, isn't it? It is, mate. Yeah, every return is big for us because we 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 tend to wait a couple of months before each episode, so we sort of leave them hanging. But uh, yeah, there's a reason to listen this time. So yeah, there is a, there is a reason to listen this time. We're a bit like we're a bit like the Harrison Ford movies, mate. We uh, we leave a couple of decades between resolutions. Yes, that's right. Um, whether they're required or not. Hmm. So uh, like I said we do have a big episode uh, coming uh, this weekend. Obviously, is the uh, the Sports Writers Festival uh, in yep. uh, Melbourne and Sydney. That's so right. uh, one of the uh, one of the headliners of the uh, Sports Writers Festival, I would say, in my opinion, yes, is yes. Uh, we've got on the podcast today. So you may know him as Askblog. He's uh, been in the the podcasting game and the sports writing game for a number of years. It's Andrew Mangan. Welcome to the podcast, mate. How you doing, guys? Not too doing bad. Well, mate. Yeah, I'm all right. It's Monday morning here, and. Uh... You know, we're not firefighting. We're, we've actually had a good result and a good performance <laughs> at the weekend. And, you know, I, I'm sure you and everybody else will understand that makes all our lives a little bit better and more enjoyable. So, yeah, we're in good form this morning. Indeed we are, mate. Indeed we are. Uh, it's, uh, as Matty said, it's, uh, it's great to have you on, mate. It's on our humble little show here. Um, as he touched on uh, just briefly, there you are coming uh, as a as a headliner for the Sports Writers Festival in Melbourne this weekend and obviously Sydney following that. Um, just before we get into uh, into the nitty-gritty of, a, of another Arsenal uh, performance over the weekend, we might just get you to touch on uh, what you'll be bringing to, to Melbourne and Sydney for that Sports Writers Festival and what the, what the punters can hope to hear from you when you're here. Well, I'm going to be uh, doing an interview. It's an interview session, I think, myself and Francis Leach. He'll be talking to me about Arsblog uh, as a website and and how maybe you can turn something that is a passion. Obviously, I've been an Arsenal fan all my life, and uh, I've somehow managed to forge this strange career um, in writing about my favorite football team and podcasting about my favorite football team and uh, and turning it into something that that helps keep the wolves from the door a little bit. You know, um, mm. so we're going to talk about that, the development of the site, um, maybe what the future is for for football media because I think people are more and more becoming club specific in what, what it is that they look for and uh, the kind of content that they want so you don't have to go and get the uh, the newspaper and hope that there's a little bit of something in the in the paper about your favorite team you can go and watch you know videos or you can read blogs or listen to podcasts and I think that applies to not just Arsenal to, to many teams so how's that going to work in the future how does it sit alongside what we would consider the mainstream media um, how do you manage an audience how do you build an audience all those kind of things um, you know social media podcasting the world is everybody's oyster at this moment in time so we'll talk a bit about that and obviously Arsenal as well um, there won't be a huge amount of Arsenal chat for those who aren't that interested in Arsenal it'll be more around the business of, of writing mm. about sports and writing about your favourite football team and being I guess or even if Arsenal is uh, a fairly big niche it's still a niche you know mm. you're not you're not um, 
you're not as broad or expansive as as you could be if you're writing about sport in general or football in general. So we're going to talk about all those kind of things. I think there's going to be some audience Q&A as well, so I'm happy to to answer questions, whatever queries people might have from the audience, and hopefully it'll be uh, a good, fun chat. Indeed, mate. It sounds, uh, it sounds like a great chat in the making, and obviously a lot of uh, Melbourne people around here, and especially those that listen to us, will be familiar with Francis Leach and his work on uh, on local radio and, and the ABC network as well, mate. So, um, yeah, that should be a great chat for those that get along to that. So we'd uh, obviously strongly encourage you all to do that. I, I suppose moving on from, from that particular uh, sort of line of, line of questioning, um, from your own personal point of view, I guess things have changed quite a lot since uh, since the day where you sort of decided to uh, to take on um, the Arsenal podcast and the blog um, every day. Um, mm. So for, for you know people like myself, like me and Maddie, who, who sort of make this a bit of labour of love, uh, what's sort of the, the main thing that sort of kept you going uh, over all these years? Because it's been a hell of a long time that you've been in the game and it's obviously something that, that takes a little bit to, of dedication, to say the least. Uh, what's, what's sort of yeah. been the main driver for you as far as that goes? The main, the main driver, I guess, is um, <laughs> not having a real job as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, idea of, the idea of sort of working in an office, and it's something I've done in the past, I find it terribly stifling, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I have to say, you know, it's been it's been quite accidental the way things have gone. You know, I started the website in 2002, mm. the podcast started in 2006, and um, you know, it was never a plan that I would make this into. Uh, you know, I don't even want to call it a business because that makes it sound like almost cynical. But yeah. what's happened over the years is that it's grown into something that has become a big part of my life, not just not just my day-to-day life but my working life and I've been able to to build something that helps pay some of the bills it's not the the be-all and end-all of what I do but it's a big part of it Um, so it's been about it's really been about trying to provide uh, Arsenal fans with the best content that we can possibly give them Um, and and obviously it it scratches many itches for me as well you know i write i get up every single morning and i can write a thousand words or 1200 words about about arsenal and i do that every single day it's just part of my routine now at this point in the podcast it allows you to i I have a background in radio i was a radio dj for a good number of years um and that was a career that never quite worked out for me for various reasons which are too long and complicated to go into uh, at this moment in time but it was always something that i enjoyed doing being behind a microphone so when you've got a blank slate like a podcast allows you to have you can sit behind the mic you can do what you want you can talk about arsenal you can make up stupid stuff you can do silly sketches or voices or crap songs and you know look <laughs> not, not everything is going to uh, uh, click with everybody but I think the beauty of it is that you can just do it because uh, you, you've got nobody telling you that you can't. So mm. really, it's the, the motivation is simply creative, I think. And obviously, when you, you deal with something like football, you deal with something like Arsenal, there is almost no end yeah. to the, 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 the stuff that you talk about, <laughs> I, you know, particularly this club, eh? Mm, exactly right. There's never-ending uh, stream of, uh, of content that you can create with, uh, with us, so... <laughs> Obviously, that helps as well. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I mean, we've we've been at it a little while, Maddie and myself. We've been um, doing this off and on for about f- just over four years now, and um, 
although it's uh, it's kind of uh, something that we love to do, we find times, especially recently, where it gets a little bit trying. Um, it gets a little bit difficult to, to pull yourself up out of bed at 2am and watch us, uh, you know, capitulate in the second half to Watford or, or something yeah. similar to that. I mean, has there been times over there with yourself, Andrew, where you've sort of thought better of it or maybe a slight change in direction away from Arsenal dedicated to maybe a more general sort of thing like you touched on there before where you sort of might be able to just broaden your horizons a little bit or has it always been it's Arsenal and, and that's it? Yeah, it's, it's always been Arsenal. I mean, you know, I could, if I wanted to, I could sit down and write about football in general or do a general football blog. And over the years, I've, I've had a couple... Mm. Uh, we put together just general football blogs but uh, in that sense i find it difficult to maintain the the motivation um yeah. i also find it difficult to be in any way impartial because uh you know if you're an arsenal fan you're having to write something about liverpool you don't want to write anything nice <laughs> yeah fuck them <laughs> you know, I'd, hate to yeah. Be doing, I'd hate to be doing a general football site now and having to write about tottenham and going they're, they're actually pretty good, aren't they? You know, mm. which is a, a sea change from what most of us have uh, <laughs> experienced over the last 20 years where Tottenham have always been kind of a joke. So, mm. you know, look, there are there are days where you think, fuck, how am I going to write about this in a mm. way that's different from the last time I wrote about this thing? <clears throat> it's exactly the same as a thing before it. But, you know, I think if you make that commitment to to your work, to your audience, I think it's incumbent on you to to step up and do it, you know? Mm. That people have an expectation that you're going to be there, that you're going to write about it, that you're going to try and make some sense of it. And even if it's difficult, if that's the job, that's the job, right? Absolutely. So, mm. You know, I, I feel like, not that I have to, you know, there's very few mornings, apart from the odd time where you wake up on a Sunday morning and you, you've been out on Saturday night and you think... Oh, I'd love, I'd love for somebody else to, to write the blog. You know, this one, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, some some mornings I have these, uh, you know, you you know where you lie there and you're dozing, and I've had mornings where I've I've actually gone and drifted off and dreamt that I've written the blog, and then you wake <laughs> up, ah, oh, come on, <laughs> but you got to get up. But I think, I think if you were to, if you have to, if you if you step back and look at it, it's like, well, okay, what have you got to do? You've got to get out of bed. You've got to go upstairs to your office. You've got to sit and write about the football club that you love for a big part of your living. You know, it's not that much of a chore, is it? You know, I think that's it. I'm, I'm very, I feel very lucky to be able to do what I do and that people enjoy it and people like it and people are happy to support it and, and everything else. And, you know, you get opportunities like, like this one coming down to Australia, I've never been before, and the idea that you could, you know, have that as part of your working life is is fantastic. So I mm. don't ever take it for granted, and I don't take the readership or the audience for granted either. And you can't just phone it in. I think mm. if you've got if you've built your website on a certain standard, it's up to you to maintain that standard, mm. and uh, that's why that's why I try and do, and we'll always try and do that. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's a it's a great outlook on uh, on you know things from your perspective. Obviously, people sort of probably do take it a little bit for granted. You know, reading the Ask blog every every morning on the train ride into into work or home from work if you're uh, you're here, and then listening to two podcasts a week and thinking nothing of it, um, just sort of waiting for it to pop up in your feed and uh, and then moving on with your day. Whereas that's sort of your life in and out um, in a nutshell. So you know, it's good from from our perspective, especially just to sort of get a bit of an insight onto onto how you sort of view it and. And what keeps mm. you getting up in the morning? So uh, yeah, cheers for that. But uh, 
obviously uh, we are here now to talk about uh, talk about the Arsenal. Um, well, it's been a little while since Maddie and I touched base on this. Uh, we've sort of uh, been going around the merry-go-round the last couple of pods with uh, you know what we sort of think's going on. We obviously had a pretty good result overnight against Everton, which uh, we were kind of due for after uh, after sort of falling apart against Watford last week. But um, uh, maybe we'll just touch on the Everton game quickly and uh, and just sort of wrap it up uh, from your perspective, Maddie. Did you uh, did you have something you wanted to to sort of uh, you know give us a bit of an overview on on how you saw the most recent games for us, mate, and, and where you sort of think we uh, we stand at the moment? Oh, yeah, look, it's um. <laughs> The the, uh, the Everton games obviously put a bit of a, a slightly positive, more positive spin on where we might have otherwise have been, mm. given um, some of the results leading into that. Uh, you know, they they are in some strife though, the old toffees. Uh, uh, yes, struggle town. I, I would definitely be be thoroughly concerned if if, if I was in <laughs> if I was in their position. But mm. um, yeah, look, obviously. A much better performance from us overall. Uh, pretty, pretty dominant, I would have thought. Yeah, um, yeah, pretty good. Disappointed to concede the two goals, but you know, um, if you had have offered me five two before the game, obviously it's something I would have taken every time. We had to get back to winning ways as well in the league after uh, after Watford and the the, the comments uh, post match from uh, from one Troy Deeney. Uh, was kind of the only response we could have had. That uh, so, I mean, it was a bit of a hiding to nothing really, but. Um, we had to get the job done. Yeah. Oh, how did you see it, Andrew? Um, you probably uh, you got a chance to watch it uh, at a fairly comfortable hour on a Sunday afternoon. So um, yeah. what did you make of the response at, uh, at Goodison yesterday? I think it was a positive one, really. And, you know, I'd agree being slightly disappointed with the with the the two goals we conceded i think what was more important yesterday was how we were going to play with that front three of lacazette ozil and sanchez being fielded for the first time mm-hmm. uh, it was why everyone was looking at it at the start of the season how were these three guys going to work together could they dovetail and uh, i think the evidence is clear that they can um you know three goals two assists between them uh you know they looked on it. I mean, that was the thing. People were questioning Ozil before the game and his commitment and, you know, these stories where he's apparently told, you know, his teammates he's going to sign for Manchester United. I <laughs> yeah. take those with I take those with a pinch of salt, to be yeah. honest. Um, you know, he showed his response on the pitch yesterday. And look, he's got to do it in, in more than one game. But, mm. you know, you see the quality he has, the quality that Sanchez has, the quality Lacazette has. And if we can keep those three guys together, and if we can field them on a regular basis in the Premier League, I suspect we will have enough up front to more often than not uh, offset the, the issues that we have defensively, uh, which we still have and we still have in midfield. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that was the real positive for me yesterday was the fact that we scored five goals. We could have scored ten goals if we'd Absolutely. made right decisions, if our finishing had been better. <clears throat> From an attacking point of view, it was it was brilliant, and people will say, "Yeah, look, it's Everton. They were down to ten men. They, mm. you know, they they're in a terrible run of form." All true, but if Tottenham had gone and done that, the newspapers would be wanking all over it. So I think we have to give credit to <laughs> to the players uh, yesterday for what they did and how they did it. Oh, that's definitely, you know, absolutely. Mm. It, it, every key statistic, I think, you know, would demonstrate that we absolutely destroyed them. So. Yeah, yeah, you, you have to be pleased with that, especially given 
you know, the last fortnight, I guess, you know, it's a kind of response that, that you wanted to see from the team. So, you know... And the response given... also... And the response also... Sorry, Matty, for cutting you off, but the response also <laughs> to going down 1-0 after yeah. the first 10 minutes mm. of the game when, it, when the pressure really started to come on and you thought, you know, geez, are we going to just, you know, capitulate again or are we going to give something back? And credit to them, in-game, they actually did work their way back in and, and, and take control of the uh, of the scoreline. So, I mean, sorry for that, Matty, but, yeah, they, they did that's actually fine. get it done in-game as well. So, yeah, carry on. No, that's basically, yeah, that wasn't too dissimilar to the point, <laughs> I guess. I was sort of just about wrapped up there. But um, mm. one thing, I, we sort of touched on it um, before we went to recording, uh, Dale. Yeah. And um, I know a lot's been said, uh, Andrew, during, the, you know, the last seven days, I guess, of the, the Troy Deeney comments. Um, and there's been a lot of people, I think, take positions on either side, I guess, whether or not they were too pleased to hear things like that. Um, do, is there a case to be made, perhaps, that this is maybe publicly the sort of thing that maybe the players needed to hear? Like, not coming from a pundit, but from a fellow professional, from a motivational standpoint, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it was interesting. They did a couple of interviews during the week. Uh, there was an interview with Per Mertesacker, at the Arsenal training ground, uh, Sky Sports did it, and he was asked, you know, what did you make of those comments? And he said, look, we don't pay any attention to what people say outside. We talk amongst ourselves and everything else. And that's what he has to say publicly. But if you watch the video, you can see he's, he's annoyed. Mm. He is annoyed by what was said. And I, mm-hmm. I understand that uh, people have issue with Troy Deeney saying it. I have issue with it, you know, to be honest. It, it annoys me that someone like Troy Deeney feels like it's okay to talk like that about Arsenal and to talk like that about Arsenal's players. Yeah. Um, uh, but maybe it's because, you know, it stings a bit because the truth hurts. He mm. wouldn't say it about any other team because, it, it, you know, I, I just don't think any other team at this moment in time is that we're, we're kind of easy picking. We're an easy you know? target, yeah. yeah. We're an easy target, but we made ourselves an easy target as well. You know, I think we have mm. to accept that. Uh, it, it it's down to a multitude of factors, but ultimately it comes down to the fact that we have allowed ourselves to 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 be made fun of like that. And you could see mm-hmm. that it annoyed Jack Wilshire as well. You could see it annoyed Per Mertesacker. And maybe, regardless of whether you think Deeney was right or not to say it, it, it might just have provided the team with that bit of extra motivation. You know, some people say pin those comments up on the dressing room wall and it's a bit of a cliche but you know why the fuck not because you've got to answer the only way you can answer those comments is by what you do on the pitch there's no point the arsenal players saying well troy dean is this or troy dean is that or you know whatever there's no point because talking gets you nowhere arsenal have been great at talking down the years and i don't Mm. really the players i mean as a club we have said so many things that we've been unable to follow through on or back up so the only way that the players could respond was on the pitch and, you know, banging five goals in at Everton, a ground we lost that last season against a manager who's had a bit of an Indian sign over Arsene Wenger as well. Mm. That's the response you want. Create 30 chances, make them look abject. And, yeah. you know, we, we played our part in making them look poor. You know, as poor as they have been in recent times, we made them look poor yesterday. We, we you know, we carved them open time and time again. 
Um, so I think the response from the players was a very positive one. And if Troy Deeney's comments played a part in that, then fine. And if Troy Deeney's comments in six months' time are something we look back on after a long unbeaten run or a long run where we've won lots of games, we might say thank you very much, Troy Deeney. You're still a you know wanker, but thanks. <laughs> uh, you know. Oh, yeah. Look, I definitely agree 100%. Especially with what you said about Everton. You know, you can only beat what's in front of you, and we've demonstrated time and time again over the last few seasons that. You know, a team on poor form isn't always a, an easy beat for us. So you still got to go out there and you still got to play that team off the park. You yeah. Know? So credit to the boys. And, and you know, like yeah, definitely with the Deeney thing. You know, uh, I think it's I think there's a considerable difference when it's when you've got pundits criticising the club. I think sometimes it's easier for that to kind of wash over because you know you hear the Carragers and the and you know the the Robbie Savages of the world, you know, uh, <laughs> making comments constantly, and you know who pays attention. But when you've got a professional coming out there, you know, I, I'm not a professional athlete, and I would never be. You could reset my life five or six <laughs> times, and I, I'd never end up on that path. I, I, I think second one, that, yeah. Yeah, that, thanks, mate. <laughs> we, we have got a semi-professional former athlete now, midst uh, the BFG. There, he was a very accomplished <laughs> athlete, Andrew. You are, oh, yeah. Oh, fuck <laughs> you! I hate you, Matty. Uh, I know you do. Um, but yeah, if that was me, I, I would. Uh, those comments would would infuriate me. I, I'd I'd really want to go out there and prove a point because you know to come from a fellow professional, that's yeah. that's insulting, really. Um, that's the thing to me, Maddie. Though, if, if you can guarantee that Troy Deeney was out there giving it to Per Murdersacker on the pitch during the game as well, not just saving it for the post match. So the thing that really irked me about it was. Okay, you can come back after the match and say, oh, Troy Deeney was out of line, rah, rah, we'll show him. But where's that fight on the pitch in the second half when Troy Deeney comes on and takes the match away from you when it's in your hands? You know, that that, that was sort of the thing that really, like Andrew said moments ago, you know, we're all about the talk, but, you know, very rarely have we been able to follow through on things. And it's good that we did respond at Everton um, away from home against a, a sort of a bogey manager for us at, at the moment, in, at this moment in time. But... The Watford result really sort of sticks in my craw a little bit from from that point of view because you know instead of responding to his you know influence on the game when Troy Deeney came on, we just sort of let it go by the wayside and then waited till the post match to to sort of speak up about what we're going to do next time. So, do you not think though there was a bit of Troy Deeney like blowing smoke up his own arse? Yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I came on, I won a header. Okay, well, what about all the headers you didn't win? Yeah. You scored a penalty. Like, you know, put any of us in front of a, you know, a penalty and we'll score it more often than yeah, not. Especially like, with better check and go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, I think there was a, a I think Dini's comments were mo- as much about reminding his own manager that he's a guy who can have an influence. You know, he's been on the mm. bench quite recently and, uh, mm. you know, he, he talked the talk and it got him a start against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge where yeah. he didn't last 90 minutes and, and uh, Watford didn't have the cojones to, to hang, on to their, <laughs> hang on to their lead, you know. So I think we have to mm. put them in a bit of context as well. You yeah. know, what, what was the motivation for his comments? It was self-aggrandizing, really. Um, mm. That doesn't make it any less true, maybe, or it doesn't make it... Uh, any less palatable for us to listen to, but I think he was, I think he was talking himself up much more than talking Arsenal down. Yeah, and yeah, obviously was, the, uh, the the media was sort of uh, 
you know, revving him on a little bit too, you know, you know, coaxing him on, giving him a little bit to exactly. go on with. Yeah. But that's that's the story, isn't it? Like Deeney yeah. slams Arsenal is a story. Troy Deeney talks about himself and how good he is and how he should be starting. Nobody gives a fuck. Yeah. You know, there's no headlines. Oh, yeah. The producers no. must have been sitting up um, while he was making those comments, just rubbing their hands together because that's, that's clickbait right there. They would be yeah. absolutely loving it. You know, mm. and um, as you say, I mean, when you listen to his comments and now that you've made that point, it's, it does stick out to me because he didn't really speak a lot about about his team, about the thing his team things his team was doing. It was about the things that he did when he came off the bench. You know, the headers that I won, you know, the difference that I made, you know, um, mm. the way he approached every, uh, um, what would you say, loose ball. So, yeah, yeah look, that, that, that's a very solid point and I think that there's definitely a, a large element of him trying to put the spotlight on himself there for sure and uh, the comments should be taken in that context as well. Mm. Absolutely. Well, we, hopefully we get another crack at him later in the season and we can uh, we can square off uh, with him at home. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, like, you, uh, like we sort of touched on briefly there, we did see uh, Ozil and Alexis start in a game together for the first time since, I think, the opening day uh, at Liverpool. Obviously, result went a little bit better than that particular day, but uh, that's obviously two key players in the team for the first time in a long time that perhaps... <laughs> we might not see for too much longer past the end of this season or even past January. Um, I guess it would be remiss of us not to sort of, you know, talk to you a little bit about the, the situations of those two guys and and where we sort of see the uh, the squad sort of developing or, or evolving uh, as this sort of season wears on and, and their contracts obviously uh, are beginning to run down. Um, what's the... What's the way forward with these two guys, and um, have we probably mismanaged it into uh, oblivion, or is there a way for us to sort of salvage something from from their their contract situations? Uh, Yeah, what a brilliant question. I wish (laughs) I knew, to be honest. Uh, Mm. Yeah, I think we have, in in some senses, mismanaged it in in that, you know, when you you buy a player like Mesut Ozil, that was such a step forward for Arsenal. And Mm. we followed that the next season by signing Alexis Sanchez. And you think, okay, well, this is it. This is the pattern. This is what we should do season after season is you bring in one one player like that. Obviously, you can't make uh, every signing can't be a star signing. You need uh, to build your squad, you know. But Mm. uh, I think we missed the trick in 2015. You know, we brought in, sorry, we brought in Petr Cech. And uh, that was all. And then... The, the signings we've made since then, you know, r- decent players, but not players at that level. And I think that's probably been the issue. You know, there was a story last week. Um, uh, Robert Perez was talking about mm. how Mesut Ozil feels angry in in regard to that because the, the mm. club haven't brought in players of that stature. And I think if we had... Um, we might not be in this mess now. And I think it boils down to a number of issues. You know, there are, there are problems with scouting. There are mm. problems with recruitment. There have been down the years. Um, the manager <clears throat> has been indecisive, it would be fair to say, at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the club maybe haven't put enough pressure on him to, to do deals. Uh, you know, players have been missed out on. And I think just generally speaking, we had a... Uh, we had a, a season last season which probably did us a lot of damage. That that middle period of last season where we really fell away from the end of January yeah. to the end of April or the end of March, whatever it was, yeah. uh, where we, we were just terrible. I think 
I think that had a profound effect on a number of the squad in terms of how they view the club's ability to achieve things and win things and also the manager's ability to fashion a squad that can compete for the biggest trophies. You know, we finished fifth. Mm. We, we, we didn't we didn't challenge for the title yet again. Um, we failed in Europe in the exact same way yet again. And I think it's that overall familiarity with things that that really is the underlying issue for this club and for fans at this moment in time is that, you know, we have days like yesterday and they're fantastic. And, you know, it's great to see the team maybe come close to playing to its potential, but it's the lack of consistency. It's the ability to chuck games that we should be winning. Uh, you know, we, we've got a big game coming up against Manchester City, which is in some ways a terrifying prospect. How how are Arsenal going to cope with a team like Manchester City away from home? I think that, that game is going to be the next marker in our season. We've got three relatively winnable games. We've got a Carabao Cup uh, tomorrow night. Tomorrow, we've yep. got Swansea. We've got Red Star Belgrade. And then we've got Manchester City before an international break. And I think we'll probably win the three games, but it's where where we are after that Manchester City game that will tell us more about this squad at this moment in time. And uh, yeah, it's, mm. uh, it, it's a difficult situation. And, and going back to the contracts of those two, I don't see either of them signing a new deal, but you could see yesterday just how important they are to this football club and to this team. And it's... It's a huge job, isn't it, to try and replace them, not just from the point of view of what they bring to you on the pitch, but what it means to lose your two-star players, the two players who are going to bring you to the next level, and they both left for free. That That is going to be a, a huge issue for the club, and how they deal with that is, I've got mm. no idea. Because it really sort of hurts us in, you know, obviously on field is, is the main place that's going to hurt us, but then from a, from a sort of a... You know, from an outside looking in, Arsenal can't keep a hold of their two key players at the end of their first contracts. Uh, then we obviously we lose that investment that we've put into the players without getting anything back for them, so that we're able to reinvest into some other players coming into the team. Um, it's it's a pretty tough one to sell to the fans, especially at a time where you know, Matty and myself obviously uh, are two frustrated Arsenal fans at the moment with the way things have gone. And uh, to know that that's on the horizon is uh, is not really something that we're looking forward to, but it's obviously something that we're interested in in seeing how the club manages, you know, because it's uh, it's obviously a situation we haven't really been in before, and uh, it's uh, you know it's getting to that point now where we really have to uh, to make a decisive uh, call one way or the other of what we're going to do to move forward because we just can't keep sort of floating down river without a paddle, I guess you'd say. It, it definitely sort of feels, um, when you say there, it's a situation we haven't been in before, probably not with um, this little time remaining, but to me it just sort of feels like we're setting ourselves five or six seasons back to where we used to be in a position where it almost became a running joke that Arsenal's best players were inevitably going to leave. Mm. You know what I mean? When you had the, the Nazri and, and, and Fabregas situation in, in one summer, you had the Van Persie situation you know, mm. uh, at, even to players like Adebayor and the Toure's who will probably missed a, a little bit less. But, you know, to me, it just sort of feels like we've made all this progress, I guess. You know, like you said, Andrew, the signing of Ozil. I still remember going to bed that night of the window and seeing the rumours of Ozil come up and go, yeah, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. And waking up in the morning and looking at my phone, 
and going, you know, Jesus Christ, you, we, we signed Mesut Ozil. We signed him, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, and then, you know, you go and get Alexis, like you said, the next season. And the one where we only signed Czech, I mean, Dale can attest to this. I had kittens that off-season. That was, <laughs> yeah, that was been, It's been a few I, seasons I, in I a row. I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe we did that. I just couldn't understand. But mm. we made so much progress, um, and it really felt like the complaint I think so many of us had for so long was not, you know, I don't want us to win the league every year, but I just want us to try, you know, like attempt to do the right things. And it felt like we were really on that path, you know, and then now you get to this situation where it just sort of feels like we're almost back in the stadium paying off period where we're about to lose our two best players. Mm. And, you know, you're not really going to have much to show for it when they go. Yeah, I mean, the worry is as well is what what is the strategy? You talked about those players before, you know, uh, Sesk and, I mean, Sesk wasn't a, a one-year contract guy, but Nasri Van Persie, when it came to 12 months left on their contract and we knew they weren't going to sign, and I don't doubt for one second that the club are very clear on what Ozil and Sanchez, uh, their intentions are, this time there's been a shift. It's been like, okay, we'll keep them. We won't sell them. Uh, you know, you, you've got to ask would it be more damaging to have sold them in the summer and got some money to reinvest in some other players? Or do you in some way show that you're, you're, you're strong by keeping them and saying, no, you'll see out your contract. Do you, do you offset the financial for the football? You know? And I think that's the decision that we've made. Um, but you know, when, when it comes right down to it, I think they're probably hoping that they can convince one of them to stay, that they don't want to lose two of them I think that that's what they're pinning their hopes on and that way they can maybe let's say they convince Ozil to stay and then they can uh, bring in someone like Lamar in the summer and, and make him the new Sanchez something like that mm. but you know that there are there are issues with who's making the decisions is yes. it part of a clear plan is it part of a clear strategy do we have a football executive that is absolutely sure about what it wants to do and how it wants to do it you know we we've lost our chief negotiator whether you think he was any good or not is a different question but you know you're now down to the chief executive and the manager dealing with all the issues of contracts and transfers and departures and who's coming in and you know as i said before there are still issues with scouting you know i think that there we 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 focus a lot on what's going on on the pitch and rightly so because that's what drives a football club but i think we as long as we fail to address the issues that we have at board level, that we need to put in place uh, structures which make doing business, keeping players, retention, departure, sales, all those things more, uh, what's the word I was going to use, I, I, just easier, I guess. They're more hmm. manageable. You know, you look, at the, <clears throat> you look at the setup that Manchester City have, and they have, you know, a, a fantastic head coach in Pep Guardiola, but they've got they've got these executives, they've got the people at football executive level who are making the decisions, who are saying, okay, that's the player you want, or this is the kind of player that you want, okay, we'll go bang, 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 we'll get it, you know? And they have the, you know, you can say they've got all the money in the world, and they do, of course, they've got as much money as they ever want, but, the, you know, it, it, they still have the people who can go out and use it. And I don't think Arsenal have those people. And that is mm. that is another part of what we need to do. It's not just what the manager is going to do with the players. It's what the club is going to do. So uh, maybe we'll see some kind of appointment in that regard. We talk about Mark Overmars coming back in. I'm not sure really how, how much truth there is in that. But, you know, we need somebody in that kind of a role. And we need them probably now rather than next summer because there is a January transfer window to take care of as well. 
it just feels like we're we're still really you know happy and comfortable to let Arson take care of way too much in a modern football mm. club. Obviously, if you're talking about you know pre uh, Emirates Stadium days, then you know things were a little bit different. Then the modern game was just starting to catch up to to uh, to where it is now, and that the big the big money clubs were just starting to uh, to get off the ground as well. Obviously, about you know let's say 15 years ago when the money came in. Um, Wenger was, you know, able to negotiate for players that he, you know, identified in the French League or wherever he'd saw them. And, you know, he was able to get those deals done all off his own bat, you know, maybe a bit of help in the background there. But, you know, nowadays it's big, it's obviously a much bigger business than it was, um, you know, since we've moved to the Emirates. And it just feels like we haven't really evolved with the modern game, you know, the way that other clubs with, you know, money and, and the ambitions to win titles, the way that they've had to evolve. We've just sort of um, been happy to, to muddle on with, with you know, the, the same old formula and, and just hope that one day we get lucky sort of thing. And, you know, the shocking thing about that is as well is it's not just the clubs that have money and ambition that have that have evolved in that way. It's pretty much all the clubs, you know. Um, you're not going to see very many top-level professional clubs nowadays that are that are run in, in with such a centralised position of power, you know what I mean? And when you think about all the things that... Arson must have to do on a daily basis. It's actually quite maddening to think, like the amount of information just just to to work on scouting and signing players and making that kind of decision. The amount of information available must be insane. You know the the scouting technology that's available nowadays, and I, you know like all the databases they apparently have, and you hear about um like you pointed out to Manchester City there, Andrew. They got something like thirty odd scouts, I think with all this information filtering through, how can one person like run a team on the field and training and then handle all this? And then apparently, you know, I, I, I assume uh, Dick Law had a bit more to do with actual maybe contract negotiations and whatnot, but I'm <laughs> assuming Arsene had some input there as well. So it's, it's, it, it is way too much on one individual and it, it's not a system that, that can work in modern football, I think, and it's definitely costing us. Yeah, I mean you you have to you have to modernize. It's really strange, I think, that Arsene Wenger is a man who who absolutely modernized oh, Arsenal and English football. Uh, look, I mean, in some ways, he's, he's not blind to it. You know, he's taken on board stats DNA. He's uh, he's embraced stats, I think, behind the scenes quite well. But just in terms of how he sees a football club being run, the manager is the guy who calls the shots. It's why he is opposed to a director of football um and i understand it to be perfectly i understand his point of view on that as a man who's been 35 years as a manager you know he sees the job working in a specific way um and he sees perhaps a director of football as a challenge but what i don't understand is why he doesn't view it as somebody who could make his life easier who could help him who could uh, make the club more effective who could take some of the burden off of him. Mm. And, you know, he can't be blind to the issues that we've had on the pitch. So every little advantage you can get, surely you would take it on board. If you can bring in, you know, the problem is he's, he's not a confrontational man, Wenger. And he's loyal and faithful to his staff. And in many ways, that's something to be admired. But also, there's a need to recognize that, you know, certain staff could be replaced. That they could be improved on and it's a hard conversation to have with somebody to say look thank you for all your service but 
you know, we've got to go in a different direction. We need something different. Uh, and he doesn't seem prepared to have those conversations, which might feed into the idea, you know, that, that nobody's having that conversation with Arsene Wenger as well, that yeah. everybody's got a shelf life, you know, and there's no, there's no shame in that, is there? There's, there's no shame being 68 and not quite as good as you were at 50 or, you know, 45. You know, mm. when you've got that, that youthfulness and you've, you've, you know, that openness to new ideas. I think as, as we get older, it's natural to become a bit more close-minded about certain things. And I do, I do wonder if that in some ways has been part of what's gone on at Arsenal, that Arsene Wenger has this belief in himself. He's got this belief in what he does and how he does it. And the more it doesn't work, the more he doubles down on that, that that's the only way that it can possibly work. So I, you know, it's a strange dynamic at Arsenal really, isn't it? Where, mm manager is so so powerful more powerful than the chief executive maybe more powerful in some ways than the owner even if the owner can you know call time whenever he wants um so you know it's 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 a peculiar situation and uh you know it will it will end at some point inevitably because he, he as much as uh, it feels like it he can't go on forever but uh until it does change i think or until until there is a sort of a managerial change, I'm not sure we're going to get some of the changes that we would like to see elsewhere. That's that's the point. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's something that Maddie and I have talked about on on previous pods as well. Is just that you know we uh, we've sort of seen this same sort of uh, pattern emerging over the past you know number of recent years where you know you can almost pick to a T what's what the season's going to unfold. Um, like and uh, obviously, uh, you know that's something that uh, unless you change something, you know, from right at the top or, uh, or right near the top, uh, you know, that's something that's going to be hard to avoid again this time around. So it's it's kind of a frustrating thing from our point of view because we, we sort of uh, we 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 like to talk about things like we have the answers, but uh, we don't really have a an input at the end of the day uh, in those sorts of decisions. So I guess that's. Uh, that's the. I mean, that's a good thing about social media. We can talk to our, our buddies on uh, on social media about it. But uh, at the end of the day, we have to sort of put up with it. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, how do we? How do we? I don't think we can change anything. You know, there's been demonstrations. You know, the club are not blind to what people think. They monitor social media. They monitor, um, you know, fan reaction, fan. Uh, blogs and channels and everything else so they know fine well what people are thinking but when it comes right down to it it's one man who's going to make the decisions um, and I don't mean Arsene Wenger when it comes to you know renewing his contract is Stan Kroenke makes the decisions mm-hmm. and I think it's just the easiest decision for Stan Kroenke to make mm-hmm. renew one man rather than have to renew an entire team of people you know uh, what's the most cost effective way for him to do that it all, it all gets a bit depressing, doesn't it? So um, we'll probably we'll probably sway. Uh, I, yeah, let's let's ask it. Let's ask a more important question. Obviously, Andrew, it's your it's your first time coming down to Australia, mate. It's a hell of a trip getting here from uh, from the other side of the world over in uh, Dublin. There, um, the fans will want to know what you're most looking forward to during your uh, during your trip down here to uh, to the uh, great brown land that is <laughs> that is Australia, mate. What are you looking forward to when you get here? I'm looking forward to a, a, a good game of knifey spoony. Yes, <laughs> I love it. Uh, uh, I pick yes. my own spoon. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, 
and, and a massive can of uh, Fosters. Fosters, yeah. Yeah, sure. What <laughs> um, am I looking forward to? I'm, I'm, I have to say, I'm really looking forward to being there, obviously, um, mm. if not so much getting there. But, uh, mm. look, I think, uh, I think one of the things that I've always enjoyed when we've gone different places and we've been, you know, to, to, to the States a couple of times, and meeting fans over there is always fantastic, you know. So it's it's just it's always amazing to me to see the passion that people have for the club, despite how far away they are from it. You know, uh, if you're getting up really early in the morning to watch a game in New York, or you're staying up really late at night to watch a game in Australia, you know, mm-hmm. you're you're still part of this community. You're still part of this uh, this fan base that, that, that circles the globe and it's amazing. So I'm looking forward to that. And obviously if there's a way of watching, you know, one of the games or a couple of the games with some of the, the Melbourne Gooners down there in whatever bar you guys go to, or they go to, then I'd be more than, more than happy to do that. And just sort of seeing what, what, what Australia is like. I like uh, going to new places and new countries and, uh, and traveling and seeing the world a little bit. So, you know, uh, Australia's, uh, iconic, um, lots of things to see over there. I don't know how much time I'm going to have to see them, but uh, yeah, <laughs> just, just looking forward to walking around. Uh, 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 I like walking around cities and stuff, and just looking around and people watching and all those kind of things. So hopefully there'll yeah. be plenty of time to do that as well. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, there'll be, be no shortage of uh, interesting people to see on the streets uh, of Sydney and Melbourne, mate. That's for sure. So, <laughs> like most, <laughs> you see, in the bar, sit and watch. Indeed, mate. Indeed. So, I guess uh, I guess we'll, uh, we'll we'll begin to wrap things up uh, from from uh, from our point of view now. Um, obviously, this is a very important uh, one though. Before you before you wrap up, too. I was just about yeah. to touch on that, but yeah, very go important. go for it, Maddie. Oh, no, I've, I've, I've cut you off, haven't I? I've cut you off. I'm no, sorry. no, mate, hit it. Uh, <laughs> there's a there's a big question for me there, Andrew. Um, I was lucky enough to see this guy play live in Australia as I'm a big Melbourne City fan and he did play for my club while he was down here. He's tearing it up in the Premier League at the moment. Uh, have you had time to watch much of Aaron Moy? Uh, you know, I was watching the Huddersfield uh, United game on Saturday. Um, and yeah, I did I did watch him and uh, I, I like the way he plays. Actually, I thought his finish for the goal was absolutely outstanding. Because he absolutely, he completely meant that, didn't he? Just, you know, mm, just lash it. Yeah. He, he, he placed it perfectly. Yeah, he looks a really good player, doesn't he? He's, um, is he a local Melbourne guy? Um, well, uh, he's he's from originally from Sydney, but yeah, most right. recently he played for uh, for Melbourne City in the A League, and um, Melbourne City are owned by the the City Football Group, the same group as Manchester City, so they took mm. him over uh, to Manchester City and then loaned him out to Huddersfield. Right, and uh, that—that's how he ended up on the journey he is. So uh, I was lucky enough to watch him play down here for two seasons, and um, you could just tell there was something really special about him, and he's—he's really, really, you know, just—he's been fantastic over there. Yeah, he does. I've got a massive crush. Yeah, he does look a good player, and I mean, how enjoyable was that game uh, Mm. uh, on Saturday watching Huddersfield beat Manchester (laughs) United to see um, you know absolutely bedraggled, soaked to the skin on the sideline, you know, having gone away from home to a club that they would be expected to beat and, and being end up uh, end up on the uh, on the on the wrong end. end. One, it was great. I, like the final few minutes were uh, were uh, they got my heart racing. You know, you kind of, 
not really, not obviously not a Huddersfield fan, but you know, you can get invested in Manchester United losing uh, fairly easily. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, it was great. He he really does look like a he really does look like a, a good player. Um, so yeah, hopefully he can score a few against Tottenham and uh, <laughs> yeah, Liverpool. Liverpool and, and not Arsenal. Um, I'm not going to wish him good luck against us, but no, uh, yeah, no, we won't. We'll keep, yeah. No, no, we we won't we won't go that far. No, no, not quite. Indeed. Indeed. Well, uh, as we said at the start, guys, uh, you can catch Andrew at the Sports Writers Festival in Melbourne this weekend, the 28th of October, and the following weekend, the 3rd and 4th of November in Sydney. He'll be there. So, uh, yeah, keep uh, keep posted with uh, with Ask Blog and also look at www.sportswritersfestival.com.au for all the information on that one. Get down there and have a beer with Andrew sometime if you get the chance. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on, Andrew. It's a real thrill for uh, for myself and probably for Matty as well, I don't know. But mm. uh, for, for me, mate, we're, we're long-time fans of, uh, of your work on Ask Blog with the podcast and the blogs. Um, that's what got us into the game over here um, with our little uh, show and our little blog, mate. So, from uh, from just from my point of view, mate, thanks very much for taking the time out of your morning there to uh, to have a bit of a chat with us. And uh, hopefully, we can uh, catch up with you this coming weekend for a beer, mate. It'd be uh, great to chat with you and, uh, and and share a couple of memories with the Arsenal. Yeah, that would be great. And thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, hopefully, we'll see you down under uh, and bring your spoons, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Bring the knife. <laughs> <laughs> no worries at all, Andrew. Thanks very much, mate. All, right, mate. all the best.